Hello, and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. Why ground control parenting? Because we're not trying to be helicopter parents, but we do need to be on the tarmac, that ground control crew, making sure our kids have what they need for a successful takeoff. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. My daughter and two sons are in their 20s, and I've been writing about parenting and education issues for more than a decade. In this podcast series, I'll be talking with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. Today, I am so excited that my dear friend, the Honorable Deval Patrick, is joining me in conversation. As we all know, Deval was the 71st governor of Massachusetts, the first African-American to hold that office. And he was a candidate for the Democratic nomination for president of the United States in this election cycle. His next step in public life is as the founder and chairman of Together Fund Pack, a political action committee to support progressive politics, including Joe Biden's campaign for president, swing state candidates for the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives, and grassroots groups driving voter turnout. So he's super busy these days. He and his wonderful wife, Diane, have two daughters, Sarah, who's 34, and Catherine, who's 31. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Duval. Oh, thank you, Carol. It's great to be with you. And congratulations on the show. It's been great listening oh, to the podcasts. Thank you so much. So, Duval, I love that I have been grandfathered into your friendship with my husband, which goes back <laughs> several decades, back to when you were college classmates. That's right. And it has been wonderful and inspiring to watch you move from a very successful private sector career and legal career to your remarkable career in public service, which continues to this day. You are known as a very caring, smart, compassionate leader, and I'm thrilled to be able to sit with you today to talk about a lesser known aspect of your life in which you are also known to be caring, thoughtful, and compassionate, your role as a parent. That's very kind. Thank you. <laughs> So I will start with a phrase that you have heard me say now on several occasions. A goal in parenting is to parent the child you have, not the one that you were or the one that you wished for. So please tell us about the child you were, young Deval Patrick, growing mm. up in a house across the street from the Robert Taylor Homes in Chicago. Yeah. So, you know, I, 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 first of all, I love that guidance of yours. I've mentioned it to both of my own um, children uh, and to Diane, I, I think for me, I was one of two kids. I have an older sister who's not quite a year older than I am uh, and a half sister I didn't know very well growing up. Um, and we lived with our uh, mother and grandparents and various relatives came and went in our grandparents' two-bedroom tenement um, on the south side of Chicago. Most of that time on uh, on welfare, you know, my mother and I my mother and my sister and I shared one of those two bedrooms and a set of bunk beds. So you go from the top bunk to the bottom bunk to the floor every third night on the uh, on the floor. Um, wow. So it was, a, you know, it was a crowded house, it was a busy and a multi-generational house, which is true of many, many uh, black families, many, many um, poor families in, uh, uh, in America. And it was a blessing in many ways, um, but challenging, too. So. Early on, you showed academic uh, progress and success in school. Was that something that the your family encouraged you in or had an expectation for you? With, with all of those family members in the house, were they all very focused on your schooling? You know, it's interesting. Um, they were, I think, you know, my grandparents had, had gone to school through uh, through the third grade in Kentucky before they moved up to uh 
to Chicago um, to get away from G the Jim Crow South. My mother dropped out of high school to um, uh, when she was pregnant with my with my sister. And then uh, I will say later on, um, you know, years after uh, my father had left, um, she uh, she went back and got her GED. Um, I would you know drag my sister and me along to these night classes, um, uh, and we'd play on the, with chalk on the board while she was taking her classes in the next room. I think education was important. It was an expectation. It was a time when uh, education was viewed as the way up and the way forward. But I think my real love of school came because I got love in school that I didn't necessarily feel I got at home. And I responded to that. You know, I had these marvelous teachers, even in these crowded classrooms who, who cared about us. They worried about us. They were professional black women and men. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and they seemed to have it together. And they were, you know, they raised our expectations of ourselves. And I think I responded to that. So I know that you've talked a lot about your closeness with teachers, and and in fact that has remained beyond the, your school days. You've said that they have they've celebrated milestones with you in, in, as as your life went on. That's right. I had a, a sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Quaintance, who uh, uh, was herself a uh, a single mom. She had a uh, a grown son at the point when uh, when we were in the sixth grade. But um, she was present when I graduated from Milton Academy, uh, where I went on a on an ABC, a Better Chance scholarship. Mm -hmm. um, she was present when I graduated from uh, Harvard College. She was present when I graduated from Harvard Law School. She was wow. at my wedding in New York. Uh, she was present when I was sworn in to head the Justice Department's C Civil Rights Division in the Clinton administration. And she would have been present at my swearing in as uh, governor, but she had passed away. But my third grade teacher was there, Mrs. Threet. Um, yeah, there, there were. And I had teachers in Milton Academy who were surrogate parents in a whole host of, of ways. So that's actually so wonderful to hear. My mom was a teacher and and it is really so gratifying to hear how much of an impact that these teachers can and did have in your yeah. life. Yes. I, I, I want to fast forward to boarding school because there you were on the south side of Chicago um, with a family that wanted you to be educated, but but had fairly limited scope of, of what that meant. And suddenly you have the opportunity to go to leave Chicago, to go to Massachusetts, to go to live away at school. And, yeah. and how did your family react to that? Well, so, you know, the the amazing thing about my family is that um, as I think back on it, is that they had. Um, limited exposure and experience, but they had limitless hope for us. And, and that came through. Um, and they were very matter of fact about new things. You know, my mother, uh, you know, I came to Milton Academy the night before classes began by myself. I found out about Milton Academy because a uh, seventh grade English teacher knew about the A Better Chance program or found out about it from a flyer on a bulletin board and introduced my mother and me to it because she knew of how strong a student I was becoming and what how limited my opportunities were in the public high schools in uh, in Chicago at that time. And um, we applied. We got this admission letter from Milton Academy. I still, I mean, Academy, I thought this was a military school and, and what happened. <laughs> 
They had a dress code in those days, Carol. The boys wore uh, jackets and ties to classes. So when the when the uh, clothing list arrived at home, my, my grandparents splurged for me in a brand new jacket. But a jacket on the south side of Chicago is a windbreaker. So <laughs> there I go. You know, the next morning, all these boys are putting on their tweed coats and their blue blazers, and I have my windbreaker. Um, it, I had a lot to learn. Uh, but, but, you know, we were, I remember sitting at O'Hare Airport with my mother um, for the first flight out uh, to Milton. And, uh, and someone asked her, you know, we got talking, someone asked her, um, uh, you know, how, you, how do you feel about, uh, about this? And her response was, um, you know, he knows what's here and he knows how to get home. And it was kind of a shrug of the shoulders after that. Um, so, uh, you know, try it. If it doesn't work out, come on, uh, come on home. Of course, I never felt like I could really just abandon ship, right? Like there were a whole <laughs> expectations riding on me. But right, it, in right. some ways, it was a comfort to know you could come home. Well, I, you know, you've, you've said that to me before, and I've really thought about that response. It's a great parenting response for two reasons. First of all, she trusted the decision making of, of you, a, a young man, and she vested in you the confidence that you could always come back home. I mean, what more would you want your family to be able to say? But, you know, you know it's the it's such a I'm, I'm so glad you put it that way. And I will tell you, I haven't always thought about it that way, Carol. I think most of the time I felt like my mother was overwhelmed by life. Mm-hmm. Um, so. um so undone by uh, uh, by my father, who was a jazz musician, uh, was one of the founding members of the Sun Ra Orchestra. Um, that he'd uh, he'd left her for um, uh, to move with the band to New York. She found out shortly before he left that he had fathered a child with uh, another woman. Uh, I think she was devastated by that. The inability to to get up on her economic feet for a period of time for her. Welfare and food stamps was humiliating. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandfather was the uh, was the janitor at a bank on the south side for sixty years, I think it was, and um, and he was holding it together. My grandmother was home, um, but uh, you know there wasn't a lot of money, and and everybody was pretty careful to the point of being stingy about, <laughs> uh, uh, except for holidays, uh, um, about uh, about sharing. So I think I think of her a lot just on one of those bunks in the dark, smoking and silent um, and, and kind of distant uh, until I was older and, and actually graduating from Milton. And then we just all of a sudden she seemed to open up and we became friends. Mm. But um, I think in some ways where she could defer mm-hmm. to my judgment she would because it was mm-hmm. just so much easier to do. And in a way, you're right. It turns out to have been a blessing because I learned to have confidence in uh, in the decisions I was making and to take responsibility for them. She also managed, notwithstanding your perspective on her as being sort of um, aloof at times, she, with no doubt, she was feeling her son moving away to the other side of the country. and. Yes she managed to put aside any display of that emotion, which could have made you feel a number of different ways, guilty, responsible, terrible. She managed to just let leave you so many years later with the feeling of, you know what you have here, 
go there. And if it doesn't work, come back. I mean, it really is true. I mean, it's a, and I, you know, as a, uh, from, from a, you know, different generation and a, and a different sort of, uh, altitude, I'm thinking of helicopter parenting. <laughs> we weren't quite that, but, um, I remember when, uh, when Sarah was maybe a year, she, I said to Diane, you know, we really need to get away together. Um, just have some time. So, cause you know, we had, we have to have a relationship when these kids go. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, let's just go to Bermuda for a, uh, a week or so. And, so. and maybe she was not quite two. And Diane wasn't ready and said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And her sister who lived in Atlanta, um, came up and she was very close to Diane and to the kids. She said, look, I'll take her and I'll take her with me back to Atlanta. Just meet me at the airport. And um, I remember um, carrying Sarah and handing her to her um, aunt. We were going for like five days. Mm -hmm. And Sarah and I was the one pushing Diane. You know, we got to go. Mm -hmm. We got to go. Mm -hmm. And Sarah turned from her aunt and reached back for me. <laughs> and Carol, I burst into tears. And <laughs> <laughs> said, Diane said, don't let her see you like this. We were halfway <laughs> to Bermuda. Before I was finally consoled, you know, and I think I think we ended up cutting the trip short and coming back um, together. So, yeah, I might have learned this lesson from my mother sooner. <laughs> than, <laughs> so, so in your own parenting of your daughters, were you able to follow that model of your mother in terms of trusting their decisions, giving them wings, maybe even earlier than they, they wanted them? Or did you feel the need to be more protective, maybe because you were raising girls, or you just had a bigger sense of how things could go wrong? It's a mix of all of that. Mm -hmm. um, I think, um, you know, I, I felt protective because I was raising girls. And I'm thinking of your mantra. I felt I had to demonstrate that I could be a reliable, show up dad. Um, mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. I had had that. And, I, you know, I, I was very demonstrative in my uh, uh, in, in my love of my kids because I didn't want them to doubt that about me the way I did about my own uh, my own dad, who was, you know, not just aloof, but absent. Right. Uh, so uh, I think I overcompensated in some of those ways, <laughs> some of those ways that just caused them even now to just roll their eyes. Um, <laughs> But we also, and I, I would say in my case, more than Diane, I think she'd agree, gave them a lot of room to try things, um, mm -hmm. to explore. You know, I can remember taking Sarah with me on a, on a business trip to London, and I had meetings all day, and we were staying in a fancy part of town in a really nice uh, hotel, and she was maybe 11 uh, and said, you know, she'd like to take a walk. And I said, well, take the card for the hotel and off you go. And off she went. And I learned later, got terribly lost. Um, <laughs> she, as far as I can tell, she bought every knockoff handbag in London <laughs> uh, and, uh, and got distracted with all of the shiny things. But ultimately, she called the hotel and, um, you know, and calling from a payphone in London is no joke. I mean, it, this is before cell phones. At 11. Yes. At, at 11 <laughs> years old. And uh, and they helped her and others helped her find her way back to the um, to the hotel. And she was cool. Um, <laughs> you know, Catherine, our younger daughter, um, after high school, 
as she was graduating, had applied to all these disparate schools, big urban schools and tiny uh, 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 colleges in uh, in the countryside and the institute in the Culinary Institute of America. And we said, wait a second. <laughs> do you know what you want to do? And she said, no. And I said, well, look, um, you don't have to start college. Um, you can take a year, but you got to do something. Mm-hmm. You can't sit and play video games all year. And she went off, God bless her, to uh, Bahia in Brazil and worked in an orphanage for uh, kids who had been orphaned by AIDS. Um, and this was our shy um uh, withdrawn um, kid, and that just totally opened her up. But it was a big deal to let her go at mm-hmm. you know, seventeen years old um, to another co- continent and figure it out. Absolutely, and and that was more than a decade ago. And so the concept of a gap year wasn't nearly in the United States anyway wasn't nearly as prevalent since you your foundation was built on storied academic institutions and education was really important to you. Did you have any concerns about um, her taking this divergent path? No. In fact, um, you know, I, I took a, I, I threw a traveling fellowship. I spent a year living in Africa after college, which was great because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, I thought about law school, thought about business school. I actually applied to seminary. Um, so I was all over the place, um, just like uh, just like Catherine. And I was rescued from my indecision by a Rockefeller Fellowship and ended up living in Sudan for most of that year. And it was it was transformative. Um, and I think I was looking for that uh, for mm-hmm. Catherine. I think she found it. Sarah took the better part of a year after she graduated from NYU. And I tease her about backpacking across uh, Europe and coming home with Marco, the Italian surfer. Um, whom she later <laughs> married. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I, I, I think um, you're right. Gap years were not um, common. If I had my druthers, we'd have, uh, we'd have an ethic of, um, of service mm-hmm. in America for um, folks that, that age um, are in that range for a year or two at home or abroad. Um, and I think when you when and if you do go to college after that, you're more mature. It was certainly ca- the case in uh, in Catherine's case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to shift gears just a little bit to ask you about your years in public life. And I'd love to know uh, how your decision to run for public office, to run for governor, impacted your children's ability to be independent, because mm-hmm. a choice to be a public figure becomes a family's choice as well to some That's degree right. or right. or or does it well when i ran for governor which is the first time i'd run for anything mm-hmm. um, they were out of state sarah was at nyu and uh and catherine was at boarding school at st andrews school in delaware and in some ways it made it a lot easier for them and for us um mm-hmm. they uh they were proud of my race um, like Diane, I think they expected me to lose. Um, but, uh, but you know, you, you cannot really prepare for the invasion, um, that public life has become a particularly elective, uh, office. The boundaries are very, very hard to maintain. Mm-hmm. And, the uh, and the, and people have, or feel entitled to a, uh, a point of view about everything, you know, mm-hmm. your haircut, <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> Uh, the cut of your suit or, 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 or what have you. And, um, 
And some of it was particularly as the, as you know, my candidacy started to be taken seriously. Um, some of it was nasty and I'm glad the girls were not around for that. Now, when I ran for reelection, Catherine was back and at Smith college. Um, and the shy one of the, of the two was very involved in the campaign, which was marvelous, really incredible. Um, when I thought about running for president, they were hotly opposed. Um, <laughs> they did not say don't do it, um, because they understood you can't, you know, you can't really say that and then carry that weight. And I was careful not to ask them, um, for permission, but they made clear what they were worried about. You know, at that point, Sarah was going through a divorce and, um, uh, and didn't want that to be a part of um, mm-hmm. the campaign. And she didn't want the campaign to be a part of her divorce, frankly. <laughs> and and uh, Catherine was just starting her practice as a family therapist. And, and family therapists, as she put it, need to be anonymous to their, um, to mm-hmm. their clientele. Uh, and she was worried about, uh, uh, about that. So um, we thought hard about that, and um, we ultimately first decided not to, and then decided to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they were relieved in some respects that uh, that the campaign didn't really uh, take flight. But it, you know, they're proud of me and putting myself out publicly, and they're very, very interested in politics and public policy, particularly around issues of social and economic justice. I love that about them. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But they are very clear-eyed about how um, cruel the process often uh, often is, and the and how important it is to be ready for it. And they were clear that, you know, in at least a couple cases, they weren't. Well, you know, I can actually relate on a very small level in that um, when my uncle Percy was uh, running for office here in New York City, uh, the tabloid papers took every opportunity they could to talk about him in, in negative terms. And I can remember being very young and seeing some headlines flashed somewhere about um, some issue that involved my father as well. And I, I remember being devastated that, because we were generally out of the limelight, being devastated that my father's name was being uh, was included in this article that was so negative. So it really does. I have to say, I think that soured me on politics as a young child because no, my feelings listen, hurt. <laughs> you know, Diane. Diane grew up in uh, in Brooklyn and with her grandparents. And her grandfather was Bertram Baker, who was uh, assemblyman from Brooklyn, mm-hmm. was the first black uh, majority leader uh, in uh, in Albany. And um, and so she, but she remembers a time. When politics was much more genteel, it was, uh, you know, you didn't, you didn't draw in your family. He was a, you know, he was a West Indian gentleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he withdrew from politics when he was running for reelection. And this upstart um, challenged him. Some of the thing that you never do. <laughs> this upstart named Shirley Chisholm <laughs> running for her first office. And uh, and he withdrew because it was so, you know, she he was a he was a Negro mm-hmm. when this is 1968. He was a Negro when um, when, you know, everybody else was black ah. and he sort of went at him. Um, and uh, rather than fight, he just said, you know, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And he stepped back. Yeah. I mean, it can be that it's a it's a rough and tumble 
business, um, but there's a lot of good you can do. Yeah. So, so one other thing I wanted to ask you about on that topic. So being a public figure also can mean that some, what are generally private family moments can get played out on a public stage, like right. your family's decision to sit for an interview to discuss your then 18 year old daughters coming out as gay. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to talk about that briefly because it seemed, I read the article that, that, um, that you guys sat for and it seemed like your her coming out to you guys went as well as it possibly could she says it was the easiest coming out experience that anybody could possibly have that's a quote and and i'm just i'm interested in that moment of of a revelation were you and diane able to go with the flow without skipping a beat or was there any perspective adjustment necessary and did you have any concerns about this being covered by newspapers you know it's funny um I remember her saying to us, um, you know, I need some time with the two of you in one place alone. And uh, we were rarely in the same place or alone. (laughs) I was in office at the time. And Diane was had a very busy practice uh, as a partner at Ropes and Gray. And um, we kept saying to each other, um, what do you think is going on? I mean, is is she pregnant? Is there a (laughs) is is there some sort of trouble? Um, And. we were finally out in the Berkshires at our place there and uh, at a, you know, and, the, and there was a bunch of family around and we were going to meet everyone for a picnic. And she pulled us aside in the uh, exasperated in the kitchen. She said, look, I've been trying to get the two of you alone. I just want to tell you. Um, and we said, OK. And she said, I just want to tell you I'm 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 gay. And Diane burst out laughing. <laughs> Which is not. It's not the kind of Hallmark cards. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, and Catherine said, why are you laughing? She said, I'm just so relieved. She said, I thought you were going to tell us something we should worry about. And I said, that is fantastic. I'm glad you feel, you know, you are who you are. Grab the mail. Let's go. <laughs> and that was pretty much that was pretty much it. When I when I was back in the office. That Monday, I remember saying to my chief of staff. Now, mind you, we had had the marriage equality battles politically um, in Massachusetts, and I was, I believe, and uh, believe then and still do, on the right side of that. Mm -hmm. And we had saved uh, marriage equality, uh, the first in the nation to do so, I'm I'm proud to say. And I didn't know anything about Catherine while all that was happening. So on Monday, I'm back in the office. I say to my chief of staff, you know, the, the hottest thing, you know, we went through all this big fight last year or the year before. And here, Catherine comes out over the weekend. Ha, 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 said I. (laughs) What's on the agenda? And he said, you know what, Gov? He said, "Um, you have to say something about this. And I I said, why? This is a private family matter. And he said, you have to say something about it because somebody will say something about it. And rather than, you know, chasing the story, you have to get ahead of it. And that's where that interview came from. Mm -hmm. And I think that turns out to have been pretty good advice. No, I, I I do as well, and and it actually probably was inspiring. I mean, it was a great positive parenting role model for people across the nation who may have been in a similar circumstance. So no, it turns out to be true. Um, I remember, you know, you have to kind of put aside your expectations of uh, you know walking your little girl down the aisle in a long white dress with a flowing train and all that. Um, uh, sort of thing that 
that in her case is not what she is married now. They're expecting their first child. Um, but that isn't, it was a gorgeous wedding, but it wasn't that wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember we, we marched in the pride parade that next June, however many months, uh, after, uh, that was. And Catherine marched with us. And uh, I remember this woman running off, running from the side uh, of the, and the, you know, there are always thousands of people. It's a big deal. And this woman came running out. She was probably in her seventies, and she uh, and the, you know, the uh, state police get a little nervous. And I said, "It's okay." And she came. She grabbed my hand, and I'm still walking, and she's walking alongside me. And she said to me, "I wish." I had had a father like you 55 years ago when I came out and she burst into tears and I stopped and I, and I hugged her and, um, uh, and she said, that's all I wanted to say. And she went back to, uh, went back to the sides and it was really, it was affirming. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Boy, I guess that's the flip side. I mean, your your family's on public display, but there are some instances where you can, with that, be helpful to people. That's that's a great story. Yeah. So so I I, I want to move on to um, under the guise of sort of what you got right, because my whole interest in parenting is trying to figure out what works and trying to pass on information about what works. And so when I've asked you in the past what you think you got right, you talked about your children, both your children, both your daughters being grounded, being having a strong sense of justice. And I'm really interested in how you and Diane helped them get there, especially considering that they grew up with exposure to so much. I mean, you, you had a very successful uh, private sector life. And then with they, when the, as you became a uh, pub governor and, and they just had access to so much and, and access and opportunity to things that can be distracting from being grounded and <laughs> believing no in social kidding. justice. No kidding. I told you the story about Catherine's homework in kindergarten, didn't I? <laughs> you did, but please tell it again. <laughs> so we were living in Washington at that time and she was in uh, public school uh, just starting kindergarten, and the homework assignment was to, dis- you know, they were working on changes in the seasons, and um, she was to come home and describe each of the four seasons to mom and dad. So uh, Diane said, you ready? And she said, yep. Um, and so uh, she said, okay, the four seasons. She said, first you drive up, and the doorman takes your car. And then you walk down a corridor and there's a big round table with flowers on it. And you go down to the dining room because what she was describing was her several visits to the Four Seasons Hotel in, in Washington, D.C., you know, and I think to myself, one generation, right? One generation and uh, and the circumstances of of my life, our family's life completely transformed mm-hmm. now. They knew the south side of Chicago because we took them back there. My grandmother was still living there. My mother lived with us for most of, uh, most of, for 20 years, most of their lives. Mm. And, um, until she passed away and my grandmother at the very end of her life. But, you know, when they were small kids, um, we would go back and, and visit. They saw that, uh, uh, that neighborhood. We lived in the town of Milton, which is right on the edge of Boston. You can walk right into Dorchester and Mattapan, um, and they had friends there. And our home was full of all kinds of people. 
um, intentionally. Mm -hmm. you know, the, mm -hmm. We're host parents for other A Better Chance students at, at Milton Academy. So kids from, there's one uh, kid from the Bronx who is still in our lives. And mm -hmm. he and his pals would take refuge when they were chased by the uh, by the white kids in the um, in the town, and they'd come running over to, <laughs> over to our house or uh, uh, as a safe place um, to be. But they were often around the table at Sunday supper, and um, they all practiced dance moves with the with the kids, and they told their stories about their homes. and uh, And I think the girls have also had relationships with all sorts of people. Um, very much more focused on the compatibility of character than on things and uh, and and places. And if anything, I would say they've been kind of hostile to my um, to some of the experiences I've had. I mean, they wouldn't take a second look at Harvard, for example. They just <laughs> we're not interested in that. That's where Dad went. I'm not doing that. I think they have said they are never sending their children to Milton Academy, for example. Uh, which, um, so, you know, they find their own way. So, you know, you, you, you said it one generation, which from a parenting perspective, it, it's, it is wonderful, miraculous that from one generation, you go from a, a room where lots of people had to sleep to your daughter being able to clearly identify at a young age, a fancy hotel. But, you know, many parents would take that perspective and say, one generation, and I'm going to do everything to make sure that we are as far away from that previous generation as possible. You know, I have moved on up. But it is it is so important that you didn't, and you and Diane made the, the supreme effort, and I'm saying this because parents should really think about how, how they can do this, the effort to connect your children to that one generation past and, and thereby strip away the sort of shiny things that they're used to and have them understand the importance of, of knowing the way the world is for a lot of different people and, and knowing the core values that go across no matter what you got around you. So well, that, and I think, you know, I was, I was doing civil rights work at the time. I was, um, I was, I mean, apart from the way we were uh, living our lives, I, I, I mean, I, I think it's enormously important that you see people um, so many people feel unseen and unheard. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think in the work I have done and uh, uh, at every level and um, and in the person I've tried to be um, and, and Diane as well, we have tried to to be intentional about seeing people. And I think the kids have that. I know they do. Mm -hmm. that, that's great. So. Before I wrap up, I, I have one question. Grandparenting. <laughs> I am, um, <laughs> you, you have one grandson and you have another grandchild on the way. Is that right? Correct. And so I'm just curious watching your, your, well, you watch one daughter as a parent and you watch another one about to be, has it given you any additional parenting insights? Wow. Um, well, First of all, I can say about grandparenting, as you may have heard, if you'd known it was this good, you would have skipped the kids. <laughs> it is that good. Um, I think Sarah has been a remarkable mom um, under very, very difficult circumstances. Mm -hmm. And uh, and she has raised a, uh, a funny, I mean, witty, um, insightful, 
uh, energetic and loving seven-year-old. Um, and, uh, you know, he has, uh, all that boyish, um, physicality. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, he's also very, very tender. Um, he's tender to her and, and to us and to other, other kids, which I, I just, I love. It's really fantastic. I have said to her, your mantra about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, taking care to raise the kid you have and not the one you were mm-hmm. or the one you wish you had. I think I have it right. That's exactly right. And, uh, and when I said that to her, she really paused because there's a lot about uh, the way she has described her parenting, um, which is a response to how she felt she was parented. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I, you know, I'm not going to get into the umbrage I take of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I think she, you know, she wants to be... Um, She's made career choices that are very different from her mom and me because she wants to feel like she can be present in a way she felt uh, we weren't always. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. I think Catherine's um, interest in uh, being a counselor for uh, families in, in crisis, and I've seen her do this. I've seen her work and just how good it, she is at it. Um, tells me, uh, number one, that if she can really bring that into her own parenting, she is going to put the rest of us to shame. <laughs> but it also uh, uh, causes me to uh, uh, to tell her to take care not to be a therapist with her kids, mm-hmm. but to try to be a mom. Yeah. Uh, and I, those aren't the same thing. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and as much as I am sorry to do this, I'm going to have to wrap it up here. But first, Deval, I want to say thank you so, so much. And I'm thrilled that you are the first solo father that I have talked to because it's so valuable to get father's perspectives as well. I'm still trying to figure it out. So uh, I I, I thank you for for the lessons I get from, from your podcast. Oh, well, well, thank you. This has been really great. And I'm sure parents have really appreciate hearing your experiences and your advice. So there's one more thing before we go. That is, you have to play the GCP bonus round. Uh-huh. Three questions, quick questions. So here we go. Your favorite poem. I have to choose one. Just right? one. Yes. Still I Rise by ah. Maya Angelou. Great. I'm collecting these all. That's a great one. Your favorite two children's books, and they can be books you grew up with or books that you read to your children or with your children. Well, you know, there's, of course, Winnie the Pooh, um, (laughs) which by Milne, uh, which I love because, you know, it's it's very ordinary characters, uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. with surprising wisdom. And there's a book I used to love to read to the girls called Liza Lou and the Yellow Belly Swamp. Do you know that book? I don't. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Uh, by a woman named Mercer Meyer, I think, uh, about this uh, adorable little black girl who outsmarts all the uh, creatures in, uh, in, in the swamp. And there's some wily characters in it, too. It's amazing. <laughs> that sounds great. Okay. And your, your favorite film or TV or theater parent? Ooh, what was the name of the character that Esther Roll played in Good Times? Do you remember that? that Florida TV? Evans. Florida Evans, right? <laughs> Florida Evans lived with her husband in a uh, in a you know in the projects in Chicago. Yes. Oh, and she, and she held it together. 
<laughs> That's great. Those are great answers. And again, I thank you so much, Deval, for being with us today. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and you'll come back for more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review where you find your podcasts and tell your friends. In the meantime, please check out Ground Control Parenting blog at www.groundcontrolparenting.com for tons of parenting info and advice. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. Please send comments and questions on any of these platforms because we really want to hear from you. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening. <music>